listeners, welcome to the NK News Podcast. This is your host, Jacko's Wetsuit Speaking, and this is a super quick roundtable after the President's Yoon song yeol and Joe Biden summit in Washington, D.C. yesterday. It is now approximately 2.30 p.m. on Thursday, April 27, 2023, here in Seoul. We're aiming to get this one out as fast as possible. I'm joined here in the NK News studio by Chad O'Carroll, Jongmin Kim, and John Lee. First time uh, on the show. John, welcome. Glad to be here. And Finally. welcome back, Chad and Jongmin. Greetings. Hello. So, uh, Chad, you texted me this morning with great urgency to say that this was the biggest event on the peninsula calendar, so you wanted to talk about it right away. Why was this meeting so important? Well, it's uh, the first time Yoon has been invited to meet President Biden over in the United States. And uh, yeah, there was a surprising amount of content material that came out of this particular summit. That, that relates not just to South Korea um, and bilateral rock US relations, but also a lot on trying to deter North Korea and frankly to try and stop South Korea having motivation to develop its own nuclear weapons, which we know has been a big topic. It, it certainly has. It's one that I've been discussing with a lot of people lately. Okay, so Chad, what's the top line takeaway for you? Yeah, basically, there's three sets of things that I've been looking into. Number one is uh, like increasing joint information sharing and coordination on actually how nuclear weapons could be used by the US to respond to a North Korean nuclear crisis on the peninsula. So that's one thing we can talk about. Then there's more about bolstering nuclear deterrence. Um, lots more threatening language about how the U.S. and South Korea would respond if North Korea ever uses its nuclear weapons. Including a uh, small-scale tactical nuclear weapon on, there's, let's say, an outlying island, for example. There's no nuance whatsoever. It's oh. just any nuclear any. weapons use. Okay. And then the other thing I, I found quite interesting, there seemed to be a lot of um, phrases included there which are, I'd say, intended to dampen publicly any South Korean government interest in developing uh, an indigenous nuclear weapons program. So lots of recommitting to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty mm. and thanking the U.S. for uh, having such a reliable nuclear deterrence on the peninsula, things like Extended. that. Extended, mm -hmm. yeah. And that, that's, of course, uh, interesting in the context of the, uh, the Asan plenum meeting that uh, a couple of us went to a couple of days ago where... It was a very carefully curated group of panels in which there was a lot of positivity expressed about the idea of South Korea either getting its own nuclear weapons or having a redeployment of U.S. strategic nuclear assets here in Korea, isn't it? Including Mr. Bolton and Chung Mong-jun. Yeah, and also I would say Henry Kissinger subtly, at least, uh, hinting at Korea's special situation that maybe we have to uh, allow South Korea to you know, do things that otherwise would be unacceptable. So he's kind of hinting at it or implying strongly that maybe South Korea getting nukes uh, is not such a bad thing as he thought it was in the 1970s when Park Chung-hee had the secret program to build nuclear weapons. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jong-min, what's the, uh, the top-line takeaways for you? Well, among the things that Chad mentioned, uh, my top-line take is actually the focus is rather than um, anything new on deterring North Korea part, but I think the focus was more about deterring South Korea as well. Mm. Um, deterring both. It's just reading between the lines and the tones, comparing to past statements. Yep. There are a lot of added stuff that makes South Korea commit to a lot of things, mm. directly and explicitly, such as non-proliferation yep. commitments um, and South Korea staying as a non-nuclear actor. When we look at the press conference that Biden did, they mentioned a couple of times that 
South Korea will remain as a non-nuclear country. Mm. So this extended deterrence bolstering is needed. And that's why we're creating this nuclear consultation group. And I guess another part is how people in South Korea will take it, which John will probably explain as Mm. well. There were a lot of hype up about what this group might be. There were like... Ah, the consultative group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There there were exclusive reports for weeks about how this might have been discussed between working levels during Mm -hmm. the like working period of the summit. So initially, South Koreans thought that this will be something very similar to NATO's NPG, um, Nuclear Planning Group. Mm. But from the statements, there were two statements actually. One was Washington Declaration on the extended deterrence thing, on the nuclear thing. Another one was joint statement about just generic things that we hear a lot about and also what Chad wrote about which is a unified Korea a free unified mm. Korea thing we'll definitely come back to that right, one yeah so there were two statements and the sec- the the um the Washington declaration one I think it lacks details on what exactly the consultation will look like but I think it's definitely a bit different from what South Koreans were expecting. I think they were expecting something more similar to a Korean-style um, nuclear sharing, mm. which was a lot in South Korean media headlines. Right. But to me, it sounds more like less like NPG of NATO, but more like uh, just a really consultation opening the regular channel between the allies so that South Koreans are in the loop a little more about U.S. nuclear um, use or weapons or op- operations, execution planning of their nuclear assets, but with the U.S. president still having the sole authority over the nuclear button per their nuclear posture review. So it seems like a lot of focus was on how to handle the South Korean administration for the next four years, but also in line with the advancing um, North Korean missile threat. Okay, uh, John, your top line takeaways and be briefer than jong Go. I personally don't see a lot of difference between what happened yesterday and what existed a week ago. I've got a bigger one for you. I don't see much difference between at least what I'm hearing here, the uh, um, commitment of South Korea not to uh, to go off script. I feel like it's a redo of 1953 when America wanted to uh, lock Lee Sung-man into a, uh, an agreement that he wouldn't go back uh, running north again to reunite the Korean Peninsula. Oh, pretty much. Um Despite the unit administration's attempts to spin this in a positive direction, the U.S. did not really commit all that much of anything. Mm. Sure, there might be some consultation now, but Biden still has the sole authority to to press any button if it comes to that. The South Korean government gets to consult, Mm -hmm. but the South Korean government has always been able to consult. But then again, in the event of a nuclear strike, I'm not quite sure how much good consulting will do at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. But what the U.S. government said that it would do, this big concession, is that it's going to start docking its uh, nuclear ballistic missile submarine off of Korea. First time in 40 years. The first time in 40 years. But I'm not sure how much of a big deal this is, considering the fact that just a month ago, we had a U.S. aircraft carrier strike group docking in Korea. Was this a Nimitz? The USS Nimitz, yes. And earlier this month, we had a nuclear-capable B-52 bomber that Mm -hmm. flew over Korea. We've already had nuclear assets in and around Korea. Mm. Uh, uh, just another nuclear asset around Korea. It's not really going to change anyone's calculus. It's right. already pretty much more the same thing. Okay. Now, um, going back, first of all, just to the, the summit or the visit itself, I uh, heard this morning that uh, President Yoon is the first South Korean president since Im Yong back in 2011 to pay a state visit to the United States. This is not to say, of course, that there were 
no official visits made by other presidents uh, previously, Presidents Park Geun-hye and, and uh, Moon Jae-in, but they were not at the level of state visits. And, and why is that? And what with the, uh, the alliance relationship and all, why were there no state visits for 12 years? Anyone got any thoughts on that? I can explain why it is a state visit this yeah, time. Yeah, what is the diplomacy behind it? What is it? What's the value added uh, or the difference? Between well, first of all, the p- domestic political context is that South Korean president um, is under pressure to mm-hmm. up his popularity even just a little bit and try to try to woo his usual supporter groups of the uh, People Power Party. Some of them are leaving and staying close to the U.S. is always helpful and state visits, it's it's a very big event, very nice photo ops and I think what's important to note is that it came right after South Korea's improving relations with Japan. Japan issue was something that Washington always wanted South Korea to really make progress on despite the historical disputes. They thought that for security reasons they need this trilateral security Uh, something similar to an alliance, trilateral alliance. Mm -hmm. South Korea never really delivered, and for a good reason. But the state visit announcement came, I think, just a couple of days or even just a day after there there were real progress made between Tokyo and Seoul, like Yoon visiting Kishida in Tokyo. And South Korea first um, offering this deal to pay with the company's private money to to repay for war reparation for the forced labor deal. So it's like, for Yoon, it's a great moment for him to use these series of diplomatic goals that he were he was achieving. Mm. And then state visit, it's like, it, it's his award for all those measures that he took despite the low popularity. And I think he really wanted that because he thought that he can get something out of that domestically. But now, I, I get why Yun would want a state visit, but obviously it's the host country that has to offer that. So what, what's in it for the U.S.? Why did the I U.S.? I mean, from the U.S. point of view, state visit, for them as well, it's, it's a big deal. And I think it's um, from U.S. government point of view, South Korea making these concessions to Japan in order to have better security cooperation. It's something that other governments in the past conservative or progressive, did not really have the guts to do. So from South Koreans' point of view, you may seem too submissive to U.S. and Japan needs. Mm -hmm. But from U.S. point of view, he did something that other presidents did not get to do. So it could be seen as an award for him. Also, I think the U.S. really wants to try and has motivations to try and nip this uh, South Korean growing nuclear desire in the bud. And we, you know, we saw Defense Secretary Austin come to Seoul some months ago yeah. to try and reaffirm deterrence. And a large part of the summit outcome texts were really language trying to pump up the value of uh, this deterrence, uh, extended deterrence towards North Korea. So I, I think that yeah, and the, and this consulting group, uh, I think it's an effort to try and make it look to the South Korean general public that the the rock is has some uh, say over how nuclear weapons may be used and thus doesn't need its own because it's it's kind of got this almost ability to to manage nuclear weapons usage so I, I I guess that was the goal a key goal on the US side was to try and yeah make Yoon feel good about uh, it's the like a re- give and take reward like we mm-hmm. give you this this reputation and this a big photo op that we can offer you mm-hmm. that you can show to your domestic public, but you mm. have to promise ABC that we really need. 
Okay, super briefly, what's the difference between this consultation group and the previous one that was here under uh, Presidents Trump and, and Moon? The, the, the working group. Working group. EDSCG, you mean? Or? I don't the, remember what the acronym was, but they had a group. There was a working group on sanctions and, and um, coordination relating to potential humanitarian aid hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, that was also started out of um, emerging frictions between the u.s yep. and rock yep. uh, specifically on the point that uh i think the u.s believed that south korea was maybe freelancing a bit too far a bit too rapidly with north korea talking not, about economic um, yep. cooperation and, and growth and whatnot yeah yeah so it, it looks similar in structure to that but I, I think it's really important to note that if you look carefully at what, what biden said yeah he, he he doesn't guarantee that there will be discussions on uh nuclear weapons use in all situations mm -hmm. he, he leaves open the possibility that as commander-in-chief he has sole authority to use his weapons and it, the implication is that he says we'll try to, we'll make effort he we'll says. make effort but you know that's quite vague and it's hmm. um, but I, I think fundamentally like is it this to me this is just like putting a, a small band-aid on quite a big wound and that, what is that wound the wound is that of growing South Korean desires to have uh, an indigenous, indigenous nuclear weapons program. And the thing is that this bandage that they're putting on this wound is not, it's not going to be sustainable long term because the drivers for the South Korean interest are continuing to increase. And we might have Trump back in two years. Uh, we have the recent Biden pullout from Afghanistan. We've got growing North Korean tactical and strategic uh, missile capabilities and much less to lose in Pyongyang than in Seoul if there's any confrontation. So in other words, the like underlying rationale for South Korea to have its own nuclear weapons is not going to be solved by this working group or John, um, pledges. Is, is there really growing public opinion that says we should get nukes in South Korea, or is that an opinion held mainly by elites? Polls constantly indicate that at least 70% of South Koreans want a nuclear uh, weapons program. 70, okay, that and is high. And when, uh, when the poll questionnaire adds mm -hmm. that there might be sanctions, then that number falls to 55. Ah. But that's, that's still, still quite high. a high number. That is number. high, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that number is not going to decrease anytime soon. Now, mm -hmm. of course, we have to at the caveat that these questionnaires are not very specific. Mm. They don't say, uh, uh, if we uh, plan to acquire nuclear bombs and we are going to put this nuclear installation in your town, then would you still support it? These right. questions are not very specific. Mm. So for now, it's still a general spirit of wanting nuclear weapons. Yep. But until South Korea really starts to feel the pressure, mm -hmm. at least for the foreseeable future, that number will not dwindle, but it's, but it's also because South Korea is not yet specific about wanting to achieve that goal. I mean, we remember the scenes from 2017 when the THAAD missile battery was brought in to uh, that former Lotte golf course and there were people uh, crowding the streets to, uh, to stop the trucks from getting through. Let's just imagine if the US decided to redeploy a couple of its uh, nuclear-tipped javelin missiles. I'm just making something up. I don't know if that exists or not. Uh, to South Korea, there'd be people in the streets there blocking them too, right? Uh, especially if it's in the, in their town, as, as John hinted at there, right? Precisely. And like fissile material facilities. Yeah. Like how would South Korean citizens, like residents, yeah. respond to something like I mean, that? In, uh, gosh, just two years ago, remember there was those, those heartbreaking scenes of uh, parents of handicapped children begging parents of non-handicapped children, please let a school for our kids be built in their neighborhood. And the, the other parent says, no, we oppose it because it'll bring down the value of our apartments. That's Can the general spirit. Th th that's the general spirit. Exactly. Yeah. So, so just starting with that as a base point, 
Can you imagine any neighborhood hearing you're going to have some fissile material very nearby? Uh, exactly. Yeah. And we were just talking about the indigenous development of nuclear weapons, but also I guess we have to differentiate that yep. with redeployment yep. of American nuclear weapons, I think, which was a little bit more relevant to the talking points of this summit. People ah. were expecting maybe something similar to a redeployment of U.S. nuclear asset-ish stuff near or on the Korean peninsula, on the South Korean side. But I don't think that's happening because yeah. a senior uh, White House official briefing just a few hours before the summit was explaining the Washington Declaration. And uh, this official was specifically um, tackling this question under NCG, uh, the nuclear consultation group, will you be considering the redeployment of U.S. nuclear weapons? They said no, ever. I know that a good friend of the uh, podcast, Steve Tharp, will be listening to this episode, and uh, he's talked to me a lot of times about uh, the redeployment of nuclear assets by the U.S. in Korea will, one, have absolutely no value added, and two, simply uh, increase the cost. So, uh, Steve, if you're out there, here's a, uh, a hat tip to you. Okay, uh, John, uh, what does the summit mean for the South Korean domestic economy? How about the IRA? What's that all about? What's it, how's it affecting Korea? Has it got a, any breaks after this summit? Well, that's a very much more complicated question yeah. than nuclear weapons. Regarding the IRA, particularly with, uh, uh, with relations to EV, electronic vehicle battery makers, things are getting quite uh, difficult for South Korean companies. Uh, for example, when the IRA was passed, there was very vague wording about how the U.S. government was going to try to limit business or trade with uh, entities or countries of concern. Mm. And a lot of that phraseology uh, was uh, interpreted to mean China, China, of course. And so all these uh, South Korean EV battery producers, they thought, okay, then we have one less competitor to worry about. Now we can do business in the U.S. and we can reap a lot of profits. Mm. But that turned out not to be true because uh, what Ford Motor Company did was that it decided to get its EV uh, batteries from a company called CATL, which is a Chinese company. Mm. And that was very confusing for a lot of South Korean businesses. Yes. But as it turns out, Ford was still able to uh, go, uh, go ahead with this deal and still get uh, IRA uh, oh. tax credits because... CATL produces those batteries in Michigan, hmm. whereas South Korean businesses do not. And so this has caused a lot of confusion and a lot of, uh, shall we say, uh, private grumblings. But there are South some South businesses. Korean people that are producing batteries or battery things in, in America, aren't And they? now there are new deals that was signed a few days ago, right? Yes. Yeah. But although that's great news for um, the U.S. economy and for mm. U.S. workers, that comes at the expense of South Korean workers. And so although this might help to line up these South Korean companies mm. uh, with their profits, this might not look so well for South Korean politicians who right. are eventually going to have to get votes from these people. Right. Okay. Gosh, so it sounds like a, uh, a complicated one. The other, which, which are the companies that will uh, be happy after this summit, as far as you can see? Which companies would be happiest? Yeah. Well, SK is definitely going to be one of those companies that will benefit the most because they've just announced a $2 billion investment in the U.S., if Boy. I'm not mistaken. And Samsung, of course. They're go GM. GM is going to be happy. Oh, yes. Very much so. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of business deals with the, all of these companies to, uh, together. But... All these big players, they're going to benefit quite handsomely. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Chad, moving back to uh, the, the politics thing there, does uh, the U.S. want a unified Korean peninsula? Yeah, well, there, this was an interesting part of the communication that came out. There was talk of 
the U.S. supporting a free and and peaceful uh, unified Korean Peninsula, something along those lines. Um, Have we gone back to the Cairo conference? Uh, it, it's interesting because the wording under President Moon, it was Trump in 2017 pledged support for peaceful conditions to you know stimulate a, a unification process, something yeah. along those lines, which implies agency for the North Korean side. Right. Um, this was very reminiscent of Pak Geun-hye era mm. rhetoric from uh, the Dresden uh, days when she was talking about how unification would be a bonanza for the peninsula. And right. it's, it's, it basically it sounds a lot more like absorption because how, how can you have a, a, a quote, free mm. unified penin peninsula uh, with the Kim regime? It doesn't really support mm. free uh human rights plus activities so yeah i i thought that was interesting um the other thing is that despite there being a few paragraphs a few sentences rather about the value of diplomacy there is nothing in this summit uh outcome that would suggest diplomacy is a serious goal with north korea there's no talk of carrots there's no incentives for north korea to talk if anything this is just going to make North Korea double down on its existing five-year military plan, and um, so. I, and then you know there was talk of uh, the dire human rights situation in North mm -hmm. Korea again, uh, abductions, returning of POWs. These are all issues that North Korea considers non-starters at this stage. So again, if it's really about rekindling diplomacy, strange thing to include. Um, so I, I don't know. I think my fear is that we just. We're just seeing a sort of emerging slow motion military confrontation between all relevant sides, which is going to basically just until at least the end of the unit administration result in major shows of power, massive drills, strategic assets at least twice a year to correspond with the two drilling seasons. And then the result being on the North Korean side, massive advances in all these weapons, technologies and capabilities. And, of course, the, the big risk of miscalculation, accident, etc., leading to a, a mess. John, when you've been patiently waiting, you've got a comment on that? Yeah, two things. First, on, on the diplomacy line, it was Professor John Delury from Yonsei, he put it very nicely, saying that that one line about diplomacy is almost an afterthought. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like it wasn't the focus at all, but they were like, eh, we sort of have to include the precondition like no, without precondition meeting things. So they sort of attached to it at the end. But interestingly, in the press conference, uh, President Yoon Seok-yeol was doubling down on his usual domestic mantra about how he thinks that basically engagement-based improvement is a fake piece and we have to do with overwhelming power. Mm. So it seems like even that one line in the wow. statement wasn't really, they don't really mean it really, I think, at least from Yoon's side. And the second one is... Um, I forgot. Well, was, I'm trying. <laughs> was Kim Jong Un trembling as he saw President oh, Yoon singing singing American Pie? I wonder, trembling in fear. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> he must have. Uh, <laughs> I was singing that earlier this week. He must have heard voice. me. Uh, I guess the bugs in my house are working. Hello, NIS. I, I remembered. The another point is how will North Korea see the NCG? The I nuclear consultative yes. group. Yes. Um, how, how would it look like from North Korea's point of view and how will they utilize this for their own justification of doing further military advancements? Mm. I think it relates back to the September 2022 nuclear law that they passed and the conditions of usage. They mention 
um, the incidents that infringe on their core interests. They put it very vaguely. And this kind of thing, even though it doesn't really change anything technically, having nuclear in the name and talking about or implying about nuclear attacks against North Korea. Ending the regime. Ending the regime. Mm. Um, this sort of thing, it all accumulates into the list of things that North Korea can use to justify their nuclear test or any delivery systems or any type of border area confrontation that, that they might yeah. be thinking of. Uh, and uh, John, I was trying to remember the last time uh, the U.S. explicitly committed to the idea of a unified Korean Peninsula. Is that something they've said often, as far as you recall, or is that something they don't really they don't use that word much? It seems to me. Well, to be honest, I don't think what the U.S. wants or doesn't want regarding unification is all that important. Because, firstly, even if the U.S. says that North Korea is not going anywhere, and no. North Korea putting a North Korea side. Even 60% of South Koreans don't really want unification either. Well, exactly. So that uh, may be a bit clothed by talking about unification now. That's true. But I'm just think, I'm, I'm casting my mind back to when it was a, uh, a left-wing shibboleth here in South Korea that uh, uh, the U.S. does not want a unified uh, Korea, that it deliberately wants to stop a unified Korea because it's somehow uh, a threat. In, and everyone, everyone's against unification of Korea except for the Koreans, people would say. But now it's... It, it seems that things have flipped the other way a little bit. And that pan-Korean nationalism quickly gives way when it when people find out that it's going to affect their wallets. Now, uh, Jongwin, speaking of wallets, uh, this I read about this LSAM-2 missile defense system that South Korea has approved $4 billion on. What's it all about and what will it stop and what will it not stop? It's two, actually. LSAM-2 and also new MSAM um, systems. So these are long-range long and also mid-range the LSAM-1, we already have the LSAM-1, which we tested last year successfully. Presumably L that stands for surface-to-air missile, oh, I'm sorry. guessing? Oh, uh, sorry. Long-range surface-to-air missile system, which is used as intercepting um, flying North Korean missiles. So, so a missile to hit a missile. Yes. Right. So it's the second phase of the three-axis system mm -hmm. um, after it flies. Yeah. LSAM-2 is supposed to be... So it, it, it just... <clears throat> excuse me. It just got the budget for developing for the next 10 years or so. Um, and LSM-2 is supposed to be targeting latest models of North Korean missiles, like the hypersonic missiles, actually. Right, the glide. Aeroballistic or um, cruise missiles as well, because the mm. gliding phase things, that's really difficult to intercept, especially yeah. from South Korea. And one thought battery is not enough, and adding more battery, it, it complicates things with China. Yeah. That's why LSM has been a very long-term goal for South Koreans, and they are having the latest one in the next 10 years, and the mid-range one will be added as well. And where would they be stationed? Any ideas? Unclear. No, okay. Right. Well, I wonder how the neighbors feel about that. Let's see. So, uh, uh, Chad, how ironclad does the U.S.-Korea <laughs> alliance feel now? Uh, it's extra ironclad. It's extra linchpinny. Mm -hmm. uh, Is there any, uh, what was the, uh, there's no daylight between the two? Uh, probably. I mean, I think they've got a chat GPT app for these. Uh, oh. In fact, chat GPT can do very accurate US rock presidential statements. <laughs> Just make sure it doesn't say lips teeth because that's the other side. <laughs> yeah, Iron is. rusts, no? <laughs> it, it, it does right. Yeah, stainless Good steel, point, wouldn't actually. that be better? Yeah, the list of cliches just goes on and on. Um, <laughs> okay, but seriously though... Uh, big change or same old same old really in terms i mean of the i think it re remains to be seen what happens from this nuclear consultative group be interesting to see north korea's response to this nuclear submarine when it comes through but a lot of it is just retreading material that came up in the summit last year redeployment of strategic assets on a regular basis 
expanded US rock military exercises. I mean, vis-a-vis North Korea, those two are probably the biggest things that changed. And that was only because Trump put those things on pause mm. for, for so long. So, yeah, I, I just uh, can't see how South Korea's appetite, desire for nuclear weapons is going to go away anytime soon. And when there are events like the Asan plenum that we just attended uh, a couple of days ago, where the US is sending senior officials like Sung Kim to represent, and where the topic of discussion is so overwhelmingly about this mm. issue, it's kind of almost uh it doesn't endorse it but it's 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 um you know if if the us is really opposed to this it should right. actually be like not attend these kind of not send senior personnel to these events it is funny messaging isn't it that in the very same week as the uh as the state visit that we've got uh you know people on the other side uh, with with a very different uh, and strong opinion you know for nuclear weapons that it's funny timing that's i guess that's probably all we could say about that um what else do we have to le- uh, to ask about? Can I actually follow up on the no, ironclad question? Oh, please. Honestly, I think it hasn't been ironclad for the past few months or years even. Really? And this state visit was meant to make it a little more ironclad as much better to U.S. liking, I think. Mm-hmm. Because if we look back, I think we are we have to look back at least until like December or October last year where there were a lot of growing concerns, uh, particularly from the U.S. side, that South Korea is being too risky um, with its own responses to North Korea. There was a case where there was a North Korea drone incursion, and mm-hmm. um, without apparently without consultation, South Koreans sent their own drones into North Korea, which was a breach of the armistice. Breach of the armistice there, yeah. was, there were tit-for-tat missile launches from South Korea, and one of them backfired mm. in, into South Korean base. It almost hurt the soldiers. Right. And I think um, these kind of risks increasing from South Korean side, it is it gets in the way of the alliance becoming ironclad mm-hmm. because they get to send these very confusing messages from both sides about what what exactly deterrence is and the postures is supposed to be. So I think um, if you look at the Washington Declaration, there's a little bit of a paragraph where they john can probably explain a little more about that but there's a line about how president yoon promised that he will work hard to work for the coordinated uh defense posture between the uh, the the cfc under unc the combined forces command command, and south korea's uh strategic command which is going to be new Mm. um it's it's phrased very generically like better coordination yeah Reading between the lines, I could sense that because there was something going on that South Koreans lost trust a little bit, U.S. wanted a little bit more assurance that they wouldn't do anything off script. Right, come back on script. Yeah, John, do you want to add anything to that? Combining uh, a CFC with uh, the ROC Strategic Command. Now, there are technical arguments for this because, as Changmin mentioned earlier, there were uh, missiles that uh, misfired and almost hurt South Korean troops. And so in or- by combining these two, there are arguments to be made that this could in- uh, in- improve South Korea's technical capabilities. But that's a technical argument. Politically, this is not going to go well with a lot of South Korean voters. South Korean voters will say, okay, so... We're going to consult with the U.S. and the U.S. is going to bring in another nuclear-capable asset. Mm-hmm. But 
the South Korean Missile Command is going to go under the CFC, which is headed by a U.S. general. And so this is going to create, this is going to give the opposition a lot of ammunition to mm. go after the UN administration. Right. So, th- so there's going to be a political cost then. Presumably, uh, President Yoon and uh, Foreign Minister Park Jin and, and, and their advisors knew about this going in, right? Uh, are they trying to head it off? Are we seeing any signs that they're trying to preempt that, the, the political cost? Not so far, mm. but they'll have to. And also, to. it was framed really generically in the statement, so I don't think this is going to get any attention from mm. South Korean media anyways. Okay. Uh, what about the, uh, the war in Ukraine? Was that mentioned in any of the statements or in the, uh, in the readout from the summit? If there were any statements made, it was all off the record. Hmm. Okay. Were, I, saw, I saw quite a lot on Ukraine. Was I reading something different? There was, um, there was joint statement, the, there was the fact sheet, and then there was the press conference. Oh, and it, not the, the declaration, that is true. Yeah, yeah it did come up, though. Ah, um, in what, the, what did you read? Uh, lots of rhetoric about how unacceptable it is mm-hmm. for Russia to have invaded and, you know, uh, rhetorical support from South Korea. But it did, uh, I think even some finance from South Korea to help Ukraine, but nothing about weapons or mm. anything. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like on lethal weapon for Ukraine, I guess that was another focal point that we were closely watching, but mm-hmm. they didn't really explicitly state mm. the commitment. If but, that was mentioned, it was off the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what's been the response in the South Korean media so far to uh, the statements in the summit and the signaling and the American pie? Well, American pie, it was actually via uh, American journalists at the, on the scene through Twitter. So it seems South Koreans didn't know about that yet. So I sent it to a bunch of people. Was it just um, a text Twitter or a video tweet? Video tweet. Oh, okay. So we have him on video scene. Yes. Okay. Um, Did he do a respectable job? He does, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but aside from that, I think um, a lot of focus was actually on the econ side of things, mm-hmm. like the Netflix investment. Um, $2.5 billion? I think so, yeah. a lot of money, as I recall. $2.5 billion. Dollars. On, on Korean content on Netflix, right? Yes. In the next, what? And then right Four away, years. Four years. Netflix issued the, this trailer about uh, a story. A dra- it's a soap opera. It's a story of a, a girl um, who, who wants to study abroad in Korea to meet her Korean boyfriend, ah. who turns out to have already have a girlfriend. So it was released right after the Netflix investment. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if, th- if that's the best way to go forward with that kind of content but anyways one other thing we spotted which Mm. uh, we're trying to look into more is that South Korea announced it would be joining the Freedom Online Coalition what is that? Um, it's a group of governments who've committed to quote work together to support internet freedom and protect fundamental rights such as free expression association assembly and privacy online now yeah the, the question in my mind is if South Korea is joining that and under U.S. chairship, this organization protects and promotes fundamental online freedoms, countering digital authoritarianism, and strengthening digital inclusion. Is that compatible with South Korea's approach to mm. control of information online, such as North Korean propaganda, which, as we all know, is yep. prohibited? So Even the YouTube channels. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be interesting. We have someone, uh, Shreyas, on our team is looking into that right now to try and find out more. Mm, but, that is interesting to follow up on, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, for what it's worth, President Yoon, since the starting of the, um, in, after the inauguration, he kept mentioning that he does think that opening up the North Korean state media to South Koreans is okay. 
I am but they sure, didn't follow up with that. Right, and, and I'm sure I remember at least as far back as President Kim Dae-jung that there was an announcement made that uh, North Korean TV would be shown on satellite in South Korea. I don't remember that. Do you remember that happening, John Lee? I do. But you know, of course, uh, none of it really happened right. beyond mere um, rhetoric. So that, that you know, we've seen announcements come and go that uh, that North Korean propaganda will be allowed more free reign in South Korea. I'd like to see it happen because uh, you know I think it actually takes away the strength of it a little bit if you let people look at it and realize how ridiculous some of it is. Um, it would need to uh, overhaul the national security law, which is yeah, dating from 1949. And as uh, Chris Green, hello, if you're listening, Chris Green likes to remind me. Almost no political party is going to spend the political capital required to uh, to overhaul or to um, or to abrogate that law. That yeah, that law was also, as you say, written many decades before the existence of the internet. Yeah, um, before the existence of the Korean War, even. So I think there is some in, like level of uh, flexibility on how one interprets that law in North or, Korea, or how one um, what's the word uh, prosecutes it and, and executes mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, has North Korea released any statement, uh, rebuttal or response to the summit, either verbally or non-verbally, you know, sending some piece of metal into the sea, for example? Nope. My yeah. bet would be maybe Kim. Oh, are we betting now? Okay, okay let's do bets. Ooh. Kim Yo-jong's statement the next day or two is my bet. Mocking the singing. Surely, I, know, I just, I just feel knowing. You know, having, I mean, it's a, such a good material for right, her to make and, fun of. And having seen some of Kim Yo Jong's tone before, that I feel like this would almost be a missed opportunity for her not to say something. <laughs> right. I think she'd be a good journalist who creates the best headline that gets the clicks. Clickbait, yeah. yeah. The yeah. better bet would be who's going to make fun of him first: the North Koreans or the South Koreans? <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, that could be a race. Uh, so, Chad, you were betting though. I, I'd say, yeah. I mean. She might have something, a bone to pick with the North, with the, the South Koreans about some of what was announced. What do you think? I think Kim Yo-jong's statement plus something from even at one point, Chisani? the chief of staff oh. uh, of the army, North Korean mm, army. Yeah. Because this is a very technical military thing that they're handling right now. And in those cases, sometimes the head of North Korean military issues a very lengthy statement saying... Um, how this is a threat to North Korea and what kind of me- measures that they will be taking. So they, in the past few, past one year, I think, they mm-hmm. were very clear with what kind of um, military response and um, countermeasures that they will be taking, and they followed through with that. So I'm expecting that at one point. All right. Uh, John, final thoughts from you? Things that you're watching or that you expect to happen? Well, President Yoon might hope that this is going to improve his approval rating. But unfortunately for him, I don't think it will. Uh, when it What's comes his numbers at most recently? 31. 31% before he left. And I don't think it's going to go much higher because mm. the South Korean public doesn't really... Uh, nuclear submarines, these th- uh, that kind of thing doesn't really resonate with South Korean voters. And as far as the IRA goes, as far as the economic development goes, sure, a lot of uh, memorandums of understanding have been signed, but memorandums of understanding are not contracts, mm-hmm. and they have not yet translated to actual exports or jobs for a lot of South Koreans yet, despite what President Biden and Yoon said during the press conference. So when President Yoon returns, he might not get that very warm welcome that he might be hoping for. Okay. When is he expected back? April 29th. Okay, that's Saturday, right? Over the weekend, yes. Over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, and so I just, just that I looked at our NK Pro missile tracker and it was uh, the last summit was on May uh, May 21st last year. Mm-hmm. 
And on May 25th, we had North Korean ICBM, mm. North Korean short-range ballistic missile, times two. Uh, so, yeah, maybe there'll, there'll be um, some missile activity. And, and it could happen be- perhaps before President Yoon even touches ground, uh, touch, puts foot on uh, South Korean soil again. He might even get a window view from the aircraft of mm. missile controls blasting over the peninsula. Goodness me. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that very uh, quite yet. Uh, thanks very much for coming on this quick roundtable podcast. Chad O'Carroll, Jongmin Kim and John Lee. Really appreciate your uh, hot-footedness and jumping into the studio with me today. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you already have an NK News account and if you're a think tank, business or academic institution, check out NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access or a free trial membership by writing an email to membership at nknews.org today. Our thanks, as always, go to Brian Betts and Arias Dare for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you very much, and listen again next time. 